Talk Recorded live. Hello again, dear friends and listeners, and thank you for joining me, your host, Pastor Visser of Covenant People's Church and Ministry, located in beautiful downtown Brooks, Georgia, for yet another look at one of Yahshua's beautiful parables. In fact, this particular parable is one pertaining to his death. So in my estimation, this is one of probably the most important parables that Christ spoke as he walked. But before we get to that, I did want to announce there probably will not be a full house this particular Sunday morning, because we just realized about five minutes ago that the URL that's sent out is actually for Dr. James P. Wickstrom's show. So those that were wanting to join us and clicked on that link realized that it went to Yahweh's truth as opposed to Covenant People's Ministry. And as such, we shall update that, and we shouldn't have any problems in the future. But Dr. Wickstrom will be on, although I believe it is either 7 or 8 o'clock tonight, and he will have uh, Pastor Bob on with him this evening. So if you have access to the Internet, I invite you to swing by Yahweh's Truth this evening to hear Dr. Wickstrom and Pastor Bob. And also worthy of note was my last sermon that I preached being the parable of the pearl. And in my ministerial career, this was actually the very first time that I preached the parable of the pearl of great price. And what's quite interesting in the aftermath of that particular sermon's release, how many people from overseas contacted me and said, oh, but Pastor Visser, we've been meaning and trying for years to send support to your ministry, but we're not able to because you don't have a PayPal link. And so I send them my email address to PayPal or the forum post that actually shows how to support this ministry. And, oh, well, it doesn't work for me. I have to bury my father. I must bring in the harvest. Do you understand what I'm saying, dear kinsfolk? The moral of the entire allegory of the parable of the pearl was about putting value on our priorities and reevaluating our priorities. Yahshua says, let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay. Thus I ask, what is a man's word worth? What I mean by this is people would be better off saying nothing than saying, hey, I intend on supporting, when we already said in that particular sermon that it's not about support, it's not about money, it's about prioritizing our values and what is important to us. So, if you haven't already, please, Tune in and listen to the parable of the pearl. But last week, unlike the parable of the pearl, it was actually the second time that I preached a sermon of the same exact title, and that would be the prodigal son. And most people within Christian identity are well aware and familiar of this parable because it centers around Israel and Judah. Now, in dealing with the wicked husbandmen, however, in order to fully understand what it is that Yahshua Messiah is speaking in this parable, I must set the stage so you understand at what time within his ministerial career that he gives this parable. It was on a Monday that Yahshua Messiah would make his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And perhaps if you followed along with me in my series on John or Luke, 
you'll know that Yahshua spent in upwards of almost a week in that same temple of Jerusalem, railing against the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, and even the Sanhedrin by extension. So it was that Yahshua entered into Jerusalem during the last week of his life on a Monday. It was the very next morning, being Tuesday, that Yahshua would enter back into the temple of Jerusalem, and this is where he would overturn the tables of the money changers. And he would say, it is written that my house is to be a house of prayer, a house of worship, but ye have turned it into a den of thieves. And so, that would be the second day. Thus, Yahshua gives his parable of the wicked husbandmen on a Wednesday, 48 hours before he would be put to death. And in essence, in dealing with this parable of the wicked husbandmen, Yahshua Messiah is straightforwardly foretelling his own death two days before it happened. And so, we should begin by reading this particular parable as it appears in the Gospel of Matthew. Now this particular morning we're going to be looking at Matthew, Mark, Thomas, and Luke. And so three canonized Gospels and one uncanonized Gospels to see what we can learn from this. So in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 21, beginning in verse 33. Yahshua gives his quote-unquote parable of the householder, and he says, Hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about, and digged a winepress in it, and built a tower, and let it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen, that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants, and beat one, and killed another, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But... When the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and they cast him out of the vineyard, and they slew him. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto the husbandmen? Now that in a nutshell, is the parable of the wicked husbandmen. And it was given to the masses, as I aforementioned, in the temple of Jerusalem. For lack of a better term, Yahshua, during this last week of his life, pretty much laid siege on the temple of Jerusalem and had the masses listening to him. And of course, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have issue with this. But notice what Yahshua is saying. He ends his parable by asking a question of the masses. And that is, when the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? So, he gives you the story, you understand it. There was a certain man, and he owned a plot of land. And, 
as was not common in the land of Israel at the time, that particular man would go on a long journey, because for the most part, all journeys during that time were long. But you're going to see as we progress that this the uh, owner of the vineyard and the owner of the land took an extended journey. And he says, well, I'm going to lend my land out. What's the purpose of this? Well, as I said, this was common because there were many vineyards round about the land and round about Jerusalem. And those men who were looking to turn a profit would lend their land out if they weren't going to be there. And so they would have servants who would in turn work the land, bring in a harvest, and gain a percentage of the profits. They would do the labor, but of course, the man who owned the land would receive a percentage. So all involved would profit, correct? So notice, he gives this allegory. He tells them, so the time of the harvest comes near. And the man who owned the land itself says, you know what? Harvest has come and gone, but I'm not going back quite yet. Therefore, let me send my servant. And they send a servant. And they say, hey, let's beat him. The word in the Greek here that's transliterated Greek means to literally plummel, to beat to a pulp and send back. And so... He says, let me send another of my servants, and they do likewise unto him. Now, unlike the thought of men, knowing that two or three that had went before had been beaten and left bloodied and come crawling back on their hands and knees, the owner of this land says, let me send my son. This is something that you and I will not do. And they caught him, and they cast him out of the vineyard, and they slew him. But notice... In St. Matthew's parable, they said, let us kill him. What does this denote? Premeditated murder. And that, dear friends, was what was on the minds of the Pharisees in the temple of Jerusalem. Because a mere two days later, they would have their way. But very big difference between fagnants or premeditated murder versus defending oneself in war or in self-defense. Because premeditated murder, that is the act of taking another person's life and desiring to do so, is forbidden within the word of God. But not necessarily the act of killing. So he gives this parable, and then he asks the masses, what then? What, when the Lord therefore comes back, what should he do? Now pay close attention. Verse 41 of St. Matthew, chapter 21. They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto another husbandman, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is Yahweh's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard this parable, they perceived that he spoke of them 
Understand, once again, this parable of the wicked husbandman was given in reference to the what? The Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel at the time. And time and time again, it is our religious leaders that cause us to err. What Yahshua is giving here in St. Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46, is, if you will, a condensed history of Israel. Remember that on the very first day of Yahshua's triumphant entry into Jerusalem, he stood outside far off and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that slays and kills the prophets. So what can we deduct already? Well, the man, obviously, in this parable is Yahweh God. The vineyard, on the other hand, is Israel. And there are over 15 specific sets of passages that all confirm this fact. And time allowing, we'll go to some of those so I can prove that Israel is a planted vineyard of Yahweh God, as we can read in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7, and Psalm chapter 80. But the vine growers, or the servants in this instance, would be the religious leaders, correct? Because after all, they did not own the land, they did not own the plat, but they were stewards, hired hands. They did not own it, but they were to have a part of the profit. And so, there's one more key. The journey, in this instance is the 2,000 years of recorded history of Israel from Genesis to Malachi. Because time and time again, Yahweh God would raise up a prophet, and he would send it to Israel. And he would say, hey, get right with Yahweh's law, get back to it. And they would be resisted, they would be put to death, they would be persecuted, and we're going to prove that as well. But the man himself is Yahweh God. The vineyard is Israel, and the vine growers are supposed to be the religious leaders, who time and time again would draw people away from Yahshua Messiah and onto the traditions of men, which Yahshua himself said make null the word of God. And so, understand what I'm saying. The Pharisees never came in and said Yahweh in flesh form or Yahshua couldn't do miracles. He didn't cast out demons. In fact, they could see. Notice, right here, when the men saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill them. They didn't say, Oh, this is just another servant. Rather, they believed within their own heart, Hey, the husbandman hasn't come back, the original owner of the land. Therefore, he must be sending his son so his son can come and get profit in the absence of his dead father. They see, they understood, the Pharisees always did, but they desired within their heart to kill Yahshua. When they saw him, they said, this is the heir, come let us kill him. Why? Because they want the inheritance. They want the kingdom. They don't want the truth, rather they want their own traditions. And we're going to prove that. But before we get to that, let me read the same exact parable as it appears in the Gospel according to Thomas. We actually got a better version of the Gospel of Thomas in the last couple of days. Which is much easier to read. However, in Thomas' 65th statement, it is the same exact parable that is given here. He said, A good man had a vineyard. 
that he arranged for tenant farmers to take care of for him in return for a portion of the produce. He sent a servant to collect the grapes. Tenants, however, seized the servant and beat him nearly to death. That servant reported back to his master, but his master responded. Perhaps they did not recognize him. And so he sent another servant, and the tenants in like manner beat him too. Then the owner sent his own son, saying, Perhaps they will show some respect for my son. Since the tenants were aware that he would inherit the vineyard, they seized him and then killed him. He who has ears, let him hear. Now you may may be well familiar that many times Yahshua taught that people have the ability to see, but oftentimes do not understand. In fact, understanding and wisdom are the principal thing, so much so that they appear in the book of Proverbs in the feminine. Understand the analogy? The Pharisees always denied the feminine, if you will, and they would hide behind their own traditions. They would say, hey, you know what? This couldn't be the Son of Man. And we're going to get to who it was that Yahshua pegged, who was responsible for the death of all the prophets, the quote-unquote servants who were sent to Jerusalem. And not only that, who was part of those sins. That's you and I, the Israelites. Because oftentimes we do not want to see. Because in seeing we are accountable. In hearing we also are accountable. And thus is the story of Yahshua. He came and he would prick these religious leaders at their heart because they were hypocrites. Time and time again he would say that. Woe unto ye scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. But we just read this from Thomas, did we not? And it's in straightforward English. A good man, that's Yahweh, he had a vineyard. That's Israel. That he arranged for tenant farmers to take care of for him. They don't own the land. But just like Levi, that tribe all the way back in the Old Testament, were to obtain their inheritance from the remaining 11 tribes, being 110%, I might add. But yet they weren't teaching the truth of God's word. Rather, every single time the genuine prophet was sent, they would be killed. For example, the first servant, we could say, would be Abel. And Abel would be killed. The second servant, take your pick. Ezra, Nehemiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all of which would be persecuted, killed. In the case of Micah, socked right in his face. Jeremiah, persecuted and submerged in mud. And then the last, of course, servant before Yahshua, Zechariah. (laughs) Bear with me, this will make much sense. But Zechariah would have been John the Baptist's father, correct? Indeed he was. And Yahshua would rebuke the Pharisees and say, unto you. But he sent the servant at the time of the harvest. In the parable of the tares and the wheat, what is the time of the harvest but the end of time? And so they come to collect the grapes. But the tenants themselves, they who did not own the land, said, you know what? We're going to have ourselves a little mutiny here. And they seized the servant and beat him nearly to death. And as per the law, as it's given in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, that and that alone would have been enough under the rule of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and life for life to get the tenants put to death. And that would be why Yahshua says to the disciples and everybody else round about in the temple of Jerusalem, what therefore should the good man do? And notice how they answer. And notice why also I stopped where I did. 
He says, what should they do? And they say, he will miserably destroy those wicked men. Of course, because that's what the law of God calls for. But then, and only then, did the Pharisees and the masses understand exactly what Yahshua was speaking. Jesus said unto them, did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Now in the Gospel of Thomas, when he's done giving this parable, he says, since the tenants were aware that he would inherit the vineyard. They seized him. They killed him. He who has ears, let him hear. And Jesus said, show me the stone that the builders rejected. It is the cornerstone. Who? The servants that were sent before. And most assuredly, Yahshua Messiah, who was the stone that the builders rejected. Who are the builders, the vine growers, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, who time and time again would have issue? They saw, they understood, but they would still premeditate in private how to kill an innocent man, understanding that Yahshua was a threat to their religious order. So understand the analogy. It was premeditated murder on the parts of the Pharisee. And when we're dealing with the wicked husbandmen, that's exactly what we could say. The parable of the plot to murder Yahshua. So, he says, did you never read that? This is the Lord's doing. This is marvelous. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation or a race, bringing forth the fruits thereof, or works. Not the Pharisees, but the Gentiles. And that, in essence, was the fulfillment of the law. Yahshua, who would be cast out amongst the nation, thrown out of the city of Jerusalem, and crucified outside the city as a common vagabond, was the cornerstone. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind them to powder. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard this parable, they perceived that he spoke unto them. And when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. Right then and there even, they wanted to murder who? The only begotten son. Remember, the good man says, they killed all my other servants. Let me send my son. Perhaps they'll listen to him. The last, final prophet of all. The one who fulfilled and would say in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, until heaven and earth pass, not one jot, not one tittle, shall in no wise pass from the law or the prophets. So imagine the hypocrisy. The Pharisees stood right there in the temple of Jerusalem, day in and day out, saying, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. And all the while they were conspiring to kill Yahshua Messiah. So... Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to read Mark's take, as it is transcribed in the 12th chapter of the Gospel according to the useful Mark. In chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, this is the parable of the householder. And he, Yahshua Messiah, began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted, planted a vineyard. And he set an hedge about it, and he digged a place for the wine fat, and built a tower, and led it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. And at the season he sent to the husbandmen a servant, that he might receive from the husbandmen the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him, and they beat him, and they sent him away empty. 
And again, he sent unto them another servant. And at him they cast stones, and they wounded him in the head. And they sent him away shamefully handled. And again, he sent another. And him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Having yet, therefore, one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also, the last, unto him, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him, and they killed him, and they cast him out of the vineyard. Stopping right there. Cast him out from amongst Israel. Yahshua was born to be who? A ruler in all Israel. King of not just the Judeans, but all the tribes. But he was crucified outside the city. Outside the temple of Jerusalem. He was cast out of the vineyard. He was rebuked as a people. He was the cornerstone which the people, the builders, correct, the Pharisees, the preachers, the prophets, which they rejected for the most part. Now, the prophets always told the truth, and it was to their detriment. And time and time again, they would come, and they would try to draw people back to what was always written. It wasn't like a latter, gratter, late, late, great translator going to come and say, hey, this is the word, this is a secret. But the prophets of the Old Testament would come back, and time and time again, he would draw them back to the law that was always given. Meaning the prophet's job is to help give eyes to see and ears to hear. And so, he said, they say, hey, this is the heir. We've got to kill this guy. And what do they do? They cast him out of the vineyard. Verse 9, here in St. Mark chapter 12, Yahshua asks again, what shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandmen, and will give the vineyard to others. And have you not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This was Yahweh's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people. For they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. And they left him, and they went his, their way. So it stands. Yahshua was a threat. The day before, on Tuesday, when he entered into the temple of Jerusalem, he overthrew the tables of the money changers. He called them liars. He called them thieves. He also, in his rebuke and preaching time and time again during this last week before Friday, when he would finally ultimately be sacrificed as a Passover lamb, would rail against the traditions of men. He would say, for example, you teach the traditions which make null the word of God, but you also do not enter in. Correct? So, let's read this finally. The final account, as it appears in the four Gospels, as it appears in St. Luke, before we truly start to dissect this. Now, Luke is one of my favorite Gospels, because it's the most expansive. And I have taught in times past that it is the composite of these parables that are the truth. Meaning, if precept must be upon precept, here a little, there a little, then we must take at least Matthew, Mark, and Luke's take because they are canonized, and in the middle is the truth. But understand that there are very little differences here in the telling of this story. For example, in Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 8, Jesus said unto them, Neither tell I tell you, or neither tell I you, by what authority I speak these things. 
So setting the stage, the Pharisees say, hey, what authority do you have? They should have been familiar. Of course, Yahshua spoke by the authority of God because he was God in flesh form. The Pharisees didn't recognize that. In fact, they still do not. They still want to kill the son and take it by force so they can have a Learjet, so they can give praise to Israel, so they can live a beautiful life, luxurious, right, like these false prophets like John Hagee and Joel Osteen do. But yet when Christ truly comes, they never seemingly get around to teaching the truth. Rather, they're the same exact ones who want to kill the genuine prophets. And there's no new thing under the sun. We're going to prove that. But he says, I'm not going to tell you by what authority I speak these things. Verse 9, then began he, Yahshua, to speak the parable unto the people, the masses. Remember, the Pharisees were there. But these were given for you and I. The Pharisees won't have eyes to see and ears to hear, because they are blind leaders of the blind, and they would rather hold people in darkness. So then he began to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and led it forth to husbandmen and went into a far country for a long time. And at the season he sent a servant to the husbandmen that they should give to him the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent another servant, and they beat him also, and entreated him shamefully, and sent him away empty. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him also, and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be that they will reverence him when they see him. Now stopping right there before we complete this. You not understand the morality and the grace it's given here? Three times. Each time worthy of death. Who are the servants? The religious leaders. And because the religious leaders lie, who suffers? But the Israelites themselves. The vineyard, correct? And three times, each of which was worthy of death according to God's own law. On the fourth time, he says, you know what? Let's extend a little bit more grace. Here's my only beloved, my only begotten son. Who do you think that is? Well, everybody knows the verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whomsoever should believeth on him should not perish. Correct? Well, obviously, Yahshua is the beloved Son who comes in place of his Father, the final prophet. Now each and every one of us are accountable or recovered. But notice this is grace. The way if man would say, hey, let's go kill these people, let's have an FBI standoff the very first time the servant was beaten and cast out. Not the second, not the third, not even the fourth. Does that not show you the love that Yahweh has for the vineyard, for his beloved people Israel, that he himself planted that vineyard in the world, in the field, according to these parables? But you should be able to understand, they says, what should I do? I'll send my beloved son. Maybe, just maybe, they'll understand him. And so it stands today. If you do, if Yahshua makes a parable and he gives a statement, if you understand, just like I say in my sermons, I already know out of 101 will support. Those are biblical numbers. So it's better to say nothing than say, I'll send something and not. It's amazing how people think. If they say it somehow or another, it becomes fact. He says, perhaps they'll reverence him. Do you think they will? Of course not. Verse 14, when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, this is the heir, or we could just say the sole heir, 
Come, let us kill him. Once again, premeditation, fognance, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. And Yahshua asked once again, for the third, technically fourth time, What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? A polite way of saying, what should God do with these false prophets? With these self-ordained rulers of Israel who come in and deny God when they see him, but hide behind the law themselves. What should be done? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen, and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. God forbid. Understand the analogy in the Greek? This is the strongest, most emphatic no known in the Grecian language. In essence, what they're saying is no, no, no. That's what it means in the Greek, because they understood. Pay close attention. He shall come and destroy these husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid, no, no, no. This word heard in the Greek is acoustio. It is where we derive our modern day term acoustic. It means that they understood. Not only did they hear, but they understood the parable that was given. And they also understood that their response was condemning themselves. They said naturally, according to God's law, they should be put to death for three offenses. Most assuredly, the fourth, going after these wicked husbandmen murdering the sole heir. But then they say, God forbid, the nation of Israel, the people, the covenant itself that was handed down to Abraham, is going to be taken from us and given to others? Thus they respond, let it never be. God forbid. When they heard it, they didn't understand it before. So understand and take that aspect away from this parable. Right here, you're able to see a parable working for once, initially not having the eyes to see. And therefore, had they been able to see that Yahweh was talking to them in flesh form and condemning them, the Israelites and those who followed the false leaders of his time, they wouldn't have answered the way they would have. The Pharisees always would come and say, hey, you know what, that was then. Times are different now. I'm going to prove that to you. But understand, they said, God forbid, no, 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 most emphatically. And he beheld them and said, what is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Question, whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind them unto powder. And thus it is, the word of God, or Yahweh, we could just say, it's a double-edged sword. It condemns many. And he saves others. So, when they heard it, Acusio in the Greek, they understood. And they emphatically said, no, not it, let it not be. But irregardless of how much the Pharisees loved to stand behind their pedigree and teach other men and women to sin to do as such, the kingdom would eventually be taken from Israel and given to the quote-unquote Jen or the Gentiles. Those Israelites in Babylon who did go into dysphoria. And thus to fully understand that the wicked husbandman, or this parable, is technically a condensed version of Israel's history. There's a few places we need to skip around so I can drive home this point. The first, of course, would be right here in St. Luke. But I want you to turn back to chapter 13. And here in St. Luke, chapter 13... 
beginning in verse 34. Yahshua weeps over Jerusalem. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killeth the prophets, and stoneth them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, and verily I say unto you, ye shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Meaning, Yahshua, before he even entered in and gave this parable of the wicked husbandman, could foretell that he would be rejected, because it was in fulfillment of a prophecy that the cornerstone the builders would reject. He also says, Jerusalem being the city, that epicenter of organized religion, if you will, is the city that would kill the prophets. Time and time again, they would be sent, would they not? From Genesis to Revelation, from Abel to Zechariah, until Christ. They would be sent, and they would be murdered. They would be cast out. They would be ostracized. I really wonder how it is that modern Christendom can overlook these aspects. How can one honestly preach the Scripture, line by line, or precept upon precept, and not ever seemingly get around to the fact that even Yahshua was put to death? They get to that on Easter, but they never mention Isaiah, Jeremiah, Peter, Paul, John, etc. And all these people, prophets, that were risen up according to Yahweh's own heart, that were sent to the Israel people, sent to the city of Jerusalem. So much so that Yahshua would say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which kills the prophets. Who killed the prophets? Well, one key, Jerusalem, the city. Organized religion kills the prophets. Now, please turn with me, if you will, to the epistle of Paul to the Thessalonians. And it's here you're going to see something similar. Because we know the context of what Yahshua is teaching here is about Jerusalem. And him being the ultimate final great prophet that would be set. And that he would be put to death and he would be cast out of the vineyard. That the same Israelite men, women, and children who on Monday were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, in the highest, for Yahshua Messiah, come Good Friday, would be saying and screaming out, murder him, crucify him, and give us Barabbas. And thus it is, the story, time and time again. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. And in chapter 2, we're going to read a damning statement. It says right here, beginning in verse 14. For ye, brethren, who's Paul speaking to the Israelites? Followers of the churches of God which are in Judea. There you go, key word, Judeans. A tribe of Israel, correct? For ye, brethren, become followers of the church of God which is in Judea, are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things for your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. Notice the differentiation. You suffer by your own countrymen, those are the Israelites, and the Jews. Many of these quote-unquote Jews, as you're well familiar, were those high-ranking Pharisees, many of whom were Edomites, and even more of whom were Judeans. And they, hood, they stood and hid behind the traditions of men. But pay close attention. He says, you became followers of the churches because you suffered. Not because your life was a bed of roses, because you made a million dollars overnight. 
but because just like every servant that Yahweh God sent to the wicked husbandmen, you were beaten, you were cast out, you were rejected, just like the cornerstone whom you follow, that beloved son, the final sent prophet to each and every one of us, who would extend that grace. Pay close attention. He says, you suffered of your own countrymen, Israelites, even as you have of the Jew or the Edomite, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men. Next verse, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Huh, interesting statement, isn't it? Because here Yahshua is telling the Judeans, straight up, we're going to take this kingdom and give it to the Gen, to the Gentiles, to the quote-unquote lost sheep of the house of Israel. Those who are lost to their identity, not their geographical location. And they do what? Time and time again would kill the prophets. The Jews, according to verse 15, here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, killed Yahshua. They killed the prophets. They persecuted the Christians. And they please, not God. And one final key, they're contrary to all. Men is added. But even if you want to take men, the Jew is supposed to be contrary to men. Thus, any man who comes in and says the Jews are God's chosen people aren't even men at all. The cares. Understand the analogy? If you're a true Adam man and have the Spirit of God, the Jew will be contrary to you. And why? Because they killed all the servants that came before. Jews killed the prophets. Jerusalem killed the prophets. Now, please, if you will, as we wind this down, we're running out of time. Turn with me to Jeremiah. And I'm going to prove a few more points here. Because in Jeremiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 23. Pay close attention, because this should condemn each and every one of us. This thing I commanded them, Yahweh speaking, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people, and walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, they walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their own evil heart and went backwards and not forwards. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but hardened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Understand, right here, you're given the key. The vineyard is Israel. The servants are who? The prophets. And time and time again, the servants are set. sent. Pay close attention. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt, unto this day, the time that this was written in Babylon, during the dysphoria, I have sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily, rising up early and sending them. Thus, once again, the servants that were sent before Yahshua, the only beloved and only begotten son of Yahweh God, according here to Jeremiah chapter 7, were disdained and rebuked, just like the cornerstone, by the children of Israel. Another confirmation for that very quickly would be in Jeremiah chapter 25. While we're right here with our hand in Jeremiah, 
And this would be the time, if you have any questions, if you're able to post them in the chat room, and you know how to make them bold, because I don't. That'd make it really easy. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 4. Yahweh hath sent unto you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending, but ye have not hearkened, nor inclined your ears to hear. The servants that Yahweh sent are the prophets. That should have been good enough. And this is why he sends his only beloved son. Now, we wouldn't think that would be the way to do it, right? With, well, he's going to kill these four. I'm not going to send my most precious firstborn, only begotten son. But that's because he was the ultimate one, the ultimate prophet. There are no latter-day prophets. No one's going to come after Yahshua and tell you anything that is contrary to the word of God, no more so than anyone will come in and say, hey, you know what, I found this great mystery. It's unto you to know the mysteries. That is the reason why Yahshua gave these parables. Because if you stay within the word of God, you should be able to understand that Israel withstood the prophets. But the reason Israel withstood the prophets throughout all of these books were because their religious leaders erred. By the time Yahshua comes into the temple of Jerusalem, we had Edomites posing as Israelites. And all they were doing the whole time Yahshua was doing good unto the Israelite people were conspiring to put them to death. That alone should tell you that they desired to have their flock in darkness. They desired to have them profitable to themselves. So, turn with me to Matthew. And I want to show you one more thing. Actually, two more things. But I want to show you that the Pharisees also are responsible. Not only for what we choose to believe that's untrue, but also for the straightforward death of Christ. In Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 30, Yahshua says, actually begin in verse 29, Woe unto ye, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous, and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves, that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Pay close attention. Verse 33 in St. Matthew chapter 23. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Period. Thus it stands, and I can rest my case. The Pharisee will come in time and time again, and they will say, you know what? Well, if things were different, I wouldn't have been part of that. But yet Yahshua already knew by his rebuke, did he not? He says, you snakes, for lack of a better term, you genios, or generation of snakes, vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? What was the curse placed upon the head of Satan in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15? And why would those two seeds, tares and wheat, be at enmity for so long? Notice, they come in and they say, hey, if it had been in the days of our fathers, we wouldn't have been partakers with them. Meaning the Pharisees believed they were altogether better than the prophets that were sent before that murdered the prophets, the servants that Yahweh sent when he was away on a long trip. And thus that long trip is soon to end. So rest assured within that. He calls them a brood of vipers. He tells them that they killed the prophets, that they are responsible. 
And so one final point before I conclude this particular evening. Many of you are well familiar that Paul was once named Saul. And it was Saul who was a Pharisee. He was chosen of Yahweh God, there's no disputing that. But there was a point where he consented unto the death of the stoning of Stephen. Stephen being one of the second generation prophets, just like Paul. Correct? So, pay close attention to Stephen giving his sermon. His one and only sermon that he gives before Saul, who ultimately later became Paul, consents unto his death. Here in the book of the Acts, chapter 7, beginning in verse 51, Stephen says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did. So do ye. Which of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the Just One, of whom ye have now been just betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the dispensation of angels, and have not kept it. Stephen's sermon that ultimately ended up costing him his life was saying exactly what Joshua Messiah said in his parable of the wicked husbandmen. Notice, he says, Which of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted? And they have slain them which they showed before the coming of the just one. Meaning, you just killed Yahshua, the final, ultimate prophet that would be sent. Correct? Three before? Abel to Zechariah, just as he told them, Upon you, the Pharisees, the Jews, will come all the blood from righteous Abel to Zechariah. Why these Pharisees sat there and deluded themselves and said, you know what? If we had been alive during the Exodus, if we had walked amongst the other Judean leaders of our time, we wouldn't have consented unto the death of these particular people. Notice Yeshua says, you're the ones who stand behind the law. You're the one who garnished up the sepulchers, but you're the same exact one who killed them. And Stephen, during this Pentecostal sermon right here, says, which one of the prophets have you not killed? And what did it cost him? His life. How can I prove that? Pay close attention. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him and witnesses, and witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, not Yahweh, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, they not descend to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Meaning, he, like the servants before, was a genuine one. Understand it? St. Stephen. And Paul, of course, would consent unto his death. Now, later he would have his grand epiphany. But Stephen was murdered for saying the same exact thing that Yahshua Messiah was murdered for. This parable of the wicked husbandmen. And what Yahshua wants you to understand is that organized religion, a majority of the time, is the opposite of what the Word of God says. Just like the Pharisees, who could present a really good game, but all the while they were premeditating the murder of Yahshua Messiah, because he was a threat to their position. No different than Herod and his band of Edomites. No different than Pilate. And thus it stands today when a genuine prophet comes. He can direct you to the source of true power. 
But big brother Esau Edom does not want you to possess that power. They want to keep you gridlocked in a state of fear. And that was how it was for the Pharisees. So much so that Yeshua has to give this parable of the wicked husbandmen. He has to straightforwardly give the analogy so that if you go back into the Word of God, you'll understand. The field is the world. Therefore, the man is God, or the good man. The vineyard is Israel. And let me prove that point before we conclude. Final set of passages for this particular study. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah was a prophet to who? Israel, indeed. Thus, everything Isaiah spoke was in reference to Israel, unlike Judah, who was in reference to two of those 13 tribes. Perhaps that's a study for another day. But in Isaiah chapter 5, pay close attention, because this will prove exactly what I'm saying. In verse 7, For the vineyard of Yahweh God, of hosts, is the house of Israel. Period. No disputing. No arguing. Thus Yahshua gave his parable, and the vineyard is Israel. For further confirmation of that, read Psalm 80 in its entirety. But it was Yahweh God who planted that, correct? The entire verse. For the vineyard of Yahweh of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but a cry. And then he goes on to his six woes against Judah. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, that there shall be no place, no place amongst them on the face of the earth. Now you would think that Joshua, being God in flesh form, in fulfillment of all these things, casting out demons, healing the sick, clothing the naked, and feeding the hungry, all of which the Pharisees at no point could dispute or argue. They never once came and said he didn't cast out demons. The closest they ever came to it was that he cast demons out with the power of Beelzebub. But even the Pharisees saw, just like in the parable that was given this morning, they saw, and they said to themselves, and reasoned within their own heart and their own stiff-neckedness, this is the heir, if I kill him, I can take it for myself. So beware of the Pharisees that still exist, because they do. They think that they can take the kingdom of Yahweh God by force, and it simply cannot be done. And thus it stands. This Sunday, January 24, 2016, we covered the parable of the wicked husbandmen. From Matthew chapter 21, Mark chapter 12, Luke chapter 20, and also the 65th statement of Thomas. This was given during the last week of his life. 48 hours from the time he pronounces this judgment against the Pharisees, he'll be hung on a cross, as all sheep were during the Passover weekend on quote-unquote Good Friday. So he cleansed the temple on Tuesday, he gives this parable, and ultimately it ends in the loss of his life. What can we deduct from the parable of the wicked husbandmen? That Joshua was one step ahead of them. He already knew what was in their heart, just like the text says. They desired to kill him. They conspired to kill him. And thus he gives this. This servant was sent. Isaiah, Jeremiah, this servant was sent. Amos, Micah, this servant was sent. Malachi. And he killed them all. And here comes the son, the only begotten son of Yahweh God. And they want to take the kingdom by force. So do not allow them. Stay within the word of God, dear kinsfolk. 
And thank you to each and every one of you who have supported this ministry over the years. It really has made a difference. Um, and uh, I definitely apologize if I came off hard at the beginning, but part of that is because, like I said, you start to develop a shell. A lot of people talk. Very few people do. And that, if you will, is the essence of Yahshua's teaching. Let your yay be yay, your nay be nay. I'm telling you, you'd be better off saying nothing than saying you will and not doing it. If you swear an oath, keep your oath. It's really that simple. And so until next time, dear kinsfolk, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, the Covenant People's Church, thanking everybody who has joined me in the chat room. We should get that problem uh, fixed with the URL, so we should have more people in the future. And also to you, men, women, and children who will be listening in the upcoming weeks and upcoming years to the show and archive, I cannot thank you enough for joining me, and I would like to extend those wishes of support. If you haven't already, please swing by org. You can always write to me. My addresses: Covenant People's Ministry or Covenant People's Church at Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. And hopefully within the next few months, we're going to get a direct landline set up so we can accept phone calls and have a more interactive type live radio sessions every Wednesday at 7 and Sunday at 10. Yahweh willing. So until then, I pray for each and every one of you and solicit your prayers for me and mine as well. War for Christ. Amen.